I made a mistake a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I had making, I'd made fun of Tucker Bond's inability to arm wrestle, which I knew nothing about. And he and his father and I ran a 5K on Thanksgiving Day. And it's not just that he beat us. I'm pretty sure he had devoured the donuts, had gone shopping, and then came back by the time his dad and I had finished the race. The thing is, before he started the race and was getting geared up, he had his, his ear pods out. And I said, what do you listen to? I want to know what motivates you to run so fast. And he goes, I'm going to listen to Jansen today. Which left a lot of conclusions in my mind. So if you didn't know, my good brother, part of your program is helping us reach our fitness goals, revenge goals, however you want to say them. They did get a picture of Aaron and I by the time we actually reached the uh, the finish line. We had pretty much left the arena at that point. So <laughs> what I could say of Tucker is true of each, so many of our young people here. Uh, we are blessed to have so, so many of our young people who don't just show up on a Sunday, but they worship the Lord. And it's not just that they know about Jesus, they know Jesus. And we're so proud of you, each and every one of you. Thank you for who you are and the blessing that you are to us. Thank you so much, Rick, for, for leading us in that song. I love the words, that beautiful hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Let me ask you this morning, what do you see when you survey the cross? What comes to your mind when you look upon the cross of Jesus? As the Brother Conrad invited us, when we open up the Word of God and we go back with eyes of faith, what, what do you see? when you go back to Calvary's Hill. Even those who were there at the very event of Jesus' crucifixion saw something different. The Pharisees saw a blasphemer who was being put to death. The Romans saw nothing more than another victim to their cruel way of torture. A mother saw her son breathing his last. And this morning, for our focus, we're going to consider something that another dying man saw in the death of the Son of God. Jesus has a conversation with the thief that is recorded for us in Luke 23. We're told to the other gospel accounts that Jesus was crucified between two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And so the Son of God was slain and killed between two criminals. We're also told that Jesus took the place of a man named Barabbas. And one of the crimes that Barabbas was known for committing was, was robbery. And so not only was Jesus uh, crucified between two robbers, that he himself was killed, dying a criminal's death, facing a criminal's punishment. In the midst of all that takes place in this scene, one of the thieves hurls an insult of Jesus. Here in our context in Luke 23, it says in verse 39, one of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him, Jesus saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. It's interesting that of all the things he could say, of all the things at this moment to say to Jesus, the only thing on his mind is himself. Save yourself and us. Save us. Hurling insults at the only source of salvation that is possibly there. His words are not a faith. His words are not actual truth. His words are insults. His words are a way of sarcasm at taking a shot at Jesus. What's interesting, though, about this thief is that there's a lot of us who see Jesus this way. Kind of the carjack mentality of Jesus. You don't think about your carjack. You don't display it in your home. It stays hidden in the trunk, and it's only there for the one moment you need it, when you get that flat tire. 
And when you get the flat, you pull it out and you let it do its work, but then it goes back in the trunk. It's useless except for the moments I need it. And some see God that way, just like this man. You know, where are you when I need you the most? If you really are God, then get me out of this crummy job. Then take away this sickness. Then get me out of this crummy marriage. Save me from my problems if you really are the Christ. But Luke says his words were blasphemous. It wasn't that he believed he was the Christ. It's just as a man who was in desperation looking to save himself, he slung his last words at the only person of hope that hung right next to him. Matthew's account tells us that the other thief was quite the same. That he at least initially was hurling insults at Jesus, but then something changed. There was something that took place those six hours that brought about a change of heart in the other thief. Something he saw. Perhaps it was the fact that as everyone was hurling insults at Jesus, Jesus didn't sling them back. That as Peter would say, that, that we've been called for this purpose, that since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he didn't revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He didn't beg for his for mercy. He didn't ask Rome to get him off the cross. He didn't try and make any bargains to stop what was taking place. He didn't curse his God or his mother. He didn't curse his executioners. In fact, the only thing he did say were words of faith and kindness and mercy as he prayed and gently took his final breaths. And that's Jesus. So different in life and so different in death. So different that when this thief observed all that was taking place, but a man being crucified next to him says in our context here, verse 39, and one says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Here's what the other says, starting in verse 40. But the other answered and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong. He was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Nine words of incredible faith. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. I know there's a lot to that, and we're going to explore some of what that meant, but can we appreciate for a moment a man who knew the bare minimum of what he gathered while on the cross, and this is what he says. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. What did he see? Well, one of the things that's obvious he saw here was that there was room in the kingdom for people like him. That Jesus was innocent, it was clear to everyone, it was clear to Pilate, it was clear to the Romans, it was clear to the both thieves that were standing there, and yet this man, obviously, he knew he wasn't a part of that. In verse 41, he saw it very clearly that he was suffering justly, that he wasn't a good man, he made terrible choices, and those choices resulted in him not only being in prison, but on the cross. It was his choices that led him to where he was, and yet, even in the midst of his terrible life choices, he saw something in Jesus, that led him to the conclusion that if there's hope for anyone, there could be hope for even someone like me. This might have been spurred by the fact that of all the things Jesus says while on the cross, in verse 43 of our context, he prays to his Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. What did he see in Jesus? 
if there's hope even for those who put him on the cross, then maybe there's hope for someone like me. He wasn't the only one to see this. Zacchaeus saw this in Luke 19, verse 9, when Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham, the tax collector, the wee little man who no one wanted to spend time with because of his job. He saw that there was room for him him with Jesus. The woman in John and John 8 who was committed, uh, caught in the act of adultery. Adultery. Again, I think sometimes we read that and think she was caught in the act of fornication. She was caught in the act of either breaking her own marriage vows or the man's marriage vows, or maybe even both. Caught in the act of adultery, and yet she is one who saw that there was room for her with Jesus and his kingdom. Because straightening up in the scene with this woman, Jesus says to her, Woman, where are they? Where are those who are to condemn you? Where are those to cast a stone at you? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. Even one who breaks the marriage vows, even one who commits a terrible crime, she saw room for herself with the Savior. Even the woman in John 4 at Samaria, who had five husbands, and then the man she was living with was not her own, saw that there was something different in Jesus, that there was room for someone like her. And that from that city, it says in John 4, 39, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. A woman who was exiled by her community found refuge in Jesus, found mercy in Jesus, and that same mercy caught on like fire in the city that was looking for the same thing. There is room in the kingdom for thieves. There's room in the kingdoms for cheaters and adulterers. There's room in the kingdom even for someone like me. All of us in one way or another can find common ground with that thief on the cross. Like one author said it this way, I too have stolen much. When I have gossiped, I've taken from another's reputation and in the process robbed my own. When I have raised my voice in anger, I have taken something away from peace. When I have aided and embedded immoral thoughts, I have stole from another's dignity, depreciating that person from a a sacred object of your love to a common object of my own lust. When I have hurt someone's feelings, I have taken something from that person's self-worth, something which I might not might uh, never be able to, to uh, take restitution. When I have spoken the truth, but not in love, I've stolen from your kingdom by pushing a soul not closer, but farther away from the borders of paradise. Reality is all of us, in one way or another, know what it's like to be a thief, to take from someone what belongs to them, what the Lord has given. But if there's a message that this thief saw, and maybe that's a question that I'm asking today, I'm here. Of all places I could be on this Sunday morning, I am here. I'm worshiping with a group of people, but perhaps in my heart I'm wondering, could God ever love someone like me? Or why would God want someone like me in his kingdom, in his home, and in his presence? And the message the thief understood is that you're not too far gone. Not for Jesus. That the reason Jesus was sent and the reason that Jesus was dying was the very fact that God gave his son for me and for you. The thief also understood, and what he saw was that there was life after death. Here he was, a dying man, speaking to another dying man, and the only way off of the cross was death. It's not like that we're going to experience some excruciating pain, and then we're going to pull you down and send you on your way. The only way you come down is in death. And yet he says to Jesus, remember me when you come, which means this. He believed that even though they were going to die, death wouldn't be the end of Jesus. He was going to come again. Somehow, 
this man who claimed to be the Messiah and claimed to be the king would live again. And if he would live again, and if there's hope for him beyond the grave, then there might be hope for this man too. Not to get off the cross, not to stop this execution, because that's not what he's asking for. He says, remember me when you come. Hope for something even beyond death itself. Isn't that incredible? Here's a man who believed simply by what he saw in Jesus that death was not going to be his end. And he says, remember me. It takes us back to what Nehemiah said throughout that book. Remember me, oh my God, for good. It's not, I want you to remember my name, write it on the plaque, memorialize me. I want you to come back and bless me. I want you to be a blessing to me. I want you to remember me with your favor for good. He knew what sometimes we forget. That after death, there's more. That after death, there is still life. That after death, there is still living. In fact, after death, there is more to come. The Hebrew writer would say that after death comes, comes the judgment. Or as Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes 12, that, that when we die and our final day comes, our body stays here and it goes in the grave, but our spirit goes on to God who gave it. And the memory is this, the point is this, Sometimes we forget, and especially this is the time of year that distracts us from it. We're so focused on the end of year, and we're focused on our sales, and we're focused on buying all the things we want to get our loved ones, and we forget this is not all that there is. And this is not all that there will be. And what the thief learned is that in Jesus, there is hope even beyond the grave. Your hope for blessings your hope for favor, your hope for salvation doesn't end in death. Why is it we can look at someone like Sharon who has passed away and look at it with hope and with favor and with, with, with grace because there's life beyond death and because she has something in Jesus that the grave itself cannot touch. Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is he saying? That in Jesus there is something we can have not even death can touch. The hope of life. Life with God forever. The thief also saw that Jesus was king. It might have been prompted by the fact that there was a sign hanging above him that said, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. It might also have been if he was able to listen to the conversation Jesus was having with Pilate when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Whatever the fact he saw that Jesus was a king, and a king isn't over nothing. You're not king over a room. You're not king over a car. A king reigns over a kingdom. And so he says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. In your kingdom. There's a lot of things that's interesting about that. In all other circumstances, when a king dies, power is transferred to another. Queen Elizabeth died. Charles got the throne. King Jesus died, and he wasn't talking about a successor. When the next in line gets on the throne, have him remember me. There was something this man knew, and that is Jesus is not like any other king. He's not like any other man. That even in death, his plans are not going to be thwarted. His kingdom is not going to be stopped. And what it was he needed the most and wanted the most was to be in his kingdom. Now think about this, because this fits us right with what Jansen was talking about at 9 a.m., this man spent his life. In fact, he gave his life for things that was empty and worthless. He tried being a thief. 
He tried taking things, whether for value or for importance, maybe just to feel something again. Maybe for pride, maybe for envy or jealousy, maybe out of covetousness, and all it ended with him was prison and death. So what's he say to Jesus as he's dying? I never found it. I, I never found it here. When you come, remember me in your kingdom. It's a statement of submission. King, when you come again, I want to be part of something different. I don't want to belong to my own way and my own pride and my own path in life. I want to belong to you and to your kingdom. There's something in you I, I couldn't find on my own. Jansen said it best. True freedom is found in submission to Jesus. Paul makes that point in the book of Romans chapter 6 when he says, Therefore, what, what benefit were you deriving from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God. You derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is he saying? Well, I tried it on my own once, and I thought I really did it. My way, my rule, my pride, my, my path in life, and it left me enslaved. I was either enslaved to myself and my pride. I was enslaved to the consequences of my choices. I was enslaved to my lust and my passions. I really was enslaved to sin and to Satan. Real freedom is found when I've been down to King Jesus and said, I, I don't know how to do this on my own. I, I don't know what's best for my life. I don't know truth without you. I don't know joy without you. I don't have direction without you. I really want the freedom from myself. I want the freedom from the weight of the world that's crushing down on me. I want, as the thief is saying, I want freedom of, of, from a life that's empty, trying to get it all by taking it, and it left me but broke and destined for death, and I want something new. But he realizes this. My purpose, your purpose, is found in following the king. That's what he is asking. I just want you. I want your kingdom. I want to be under your rule. Real life is found with you. Now listen to this. If this is the message I'm willing to listen to and to follow and to make my own, this is how Solomon would say it in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Do you hear the difference? My way and God's way? My kingdom and Christ's kingdom? Don't lean on yourself. Don't think you're smarter than you really are. In fact, in your path, in your knowledge, in your wisdom, in your choices, lean, look, trust, and follow the Lord. And he is the one who's going to make your path straight. Because ultimately what he saw was that Jesus was the answer. Without a doubt, it seems like when we come to this passage, when many come to this passage, the one thing that this passage seems to be used for is just to say one doesn't have to be baptized in order to be saved. That Jesus saved the man on the cross, and since he saved the man on the cross and he wasn't baptized, and one doesn't have to be baptized in order to be saved today. And that's not the point of the passage at all. We kind of miss the whole point of the passage. The whole point of this passage is this. 
here's the man who is dying. He saw the answer, and he reached out to the answer, and it was Jesus. Could Jesus forgive the man without baptism? Jesus. He's the Son of God. He, he forgave the man sin in, in Matthew 2, the paralytic. And literally, as he is hanging there, the blood for the forgiveness of all sins, let alone this man next to him, is flowing. And so, of course, Jesus can forgive him of his sins. That's not the point. The point is this. When this man has his dying breath and he's looking for and out to hope, he doesn't plead to Caesar, save me. He doesn't cry to a Roman God, hear me. He pleads with Jesus, remember me. That's the point. The real answer out of our, our deepest desperations is Jesus. And so if I want life of meaning, if I want hope from a pit I've dug, of all the choices I've made, the answer is Jesus. And if I want to be saved the same way the thief was saved, then I had to do the same thing the thief did. That thief came to Jesus and said, Lord, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. I want you. I want to belong to you. I want to be part of you. Save me. King Jesus then says, repent of your sins. He wanted to be part of his kingdom. He's willing to follow the king. If that's what I want, then I'm going to listen to King Jesus. And King Jesus says that we're going to have our faith in him and turn from the things that are putting us in the place of the cross, putting us far from our God. King Jesus says that we are to confess him before men, to use our life and our actions, and most importantly, our voice that God has given us, the voice of faith, to make it clear our faith, our trust, our belief in him. And King Jesus says to believe and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And in fact, it is through baptism, Peter would say, that we make that appeal to God. When we are baptized in water, that is how the soul says, I want to be forgiven. I want your cleansing. I want your forgiveness. I want to be right with you. Because Ananias told Paul to arise and be baptized, washing away his sins, calling on his name. How do you call on the name of the Lord? By listening to that Lord. I want to be part of your kingdom, so king, command me. King, direct me. King, let me follow you to whatever extent and path you leap. Now here's our walk it off the page for today. One Savior was crucified between two thieves. There was one who ridiculed, insulted, and dismissed the dying Lord. And there's the other who reached out by faith, pleading for salvation. Do you think it's possible to be so near the Savior? to have the words of life right in front of us that direct us and teach us and show us, to have believers to teach and help encourage, point us in the right way. Do you believe it's possible for us to be close to Jesus in every sense of the word and yet to be far from him in our hearts? Is it possible I've done all that I can to draw as close as I can and I've had many opportunities to draw me near to him but I'm kind of like that prodigal. I may be home in the body but my heart's in the far country and it's not where I belong. 
The story to see for the cross is this. Our story can change in Jesus. Even when it seems like it's the end. Even when it seems like all is lost. My story can change in Jesus. And your story can change too. You are not too far gone for Jesus. And the hope that he has promised for every one of us, no matter when our life ends, will not end in the grave. And that meaning and that purpose that you are striving for, that we are longing for, is only found in him. And so everything about who we are can change in Jesus. The, the call is this. Then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Just like that thief, reach to Jesus. Put away the distractions of the world. Submit those voices of fear that say you can't. Be led by faith and a desire to be right with your God and come to him. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. This morning, if you're ready for Jesus, come as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.